Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, this is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask now that you would open up this passage to our hearts and to our minds. This is recorded for good reason. You preserve this for us to read and to study, to meditate on. And so, Lord, will you teach us from it? We would ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Well, as Mark mentioned uh, earlier, uh, this year we are going to take five weeks on the resurrection. I have never in my ministry, uh, I guess I could have had the opportunity, but in, in God's uh, providence, never had this many weeks, including Easter, uh, leading up to it where we could focus on, on different aspects of it. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to every single week. These are, these are powerful passages that are life-changing. So let's, let's jump in. Uh, we, we see here on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, saw that the uh, stone had been taken away from the tomb. And I, I want to do a couple of things before we, we actually jump into this passage. There's little almost side roads, but uh, they're roads that, that we can't ignore, we've got to take. And uh, Mark alluded to one of them earlier, and that is how this begins when it says, on the first day of the week. 
Now, it's stated really just uh, matter-of-factly, but this is a turning point in terms of the practice of the church. Uh, up until this time, the, the Sabbath was on the, the seventh day. But from this time on, so far as we know, you know, beginning probably weekly after this, but certainly with the early church, uh, they began to meet to worship on the first day of the week, on Sunday, and it was to celebrate the resurrection. What better thing to do when you gather to worship when you are a Christ follower? So we see, for instance, in Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, just stated, that's just their practice, not a command. This is what we do. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up uh, as he may prosper so that there will be no uh, collecting when I come. So, so the idea is that uh, the, the church, by instinct, certainly by faith, said, okay, this is... This is what we will do, uh, and, and rather than, than gathering on the, on the last day of the week, we will gather and, and we will celebrate every single Sunday because that's when Jesus walked out of the tomb. And so that's what we do, and that's what we will do until he comes back. Now notice... It again, just casually mentioned on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Poor Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Why would I say that? Because she has been so maligned over the years. She's popular to talk about. She has been called Jesus' last temptation, his mistress, his wife. Those views are fiction. If you uh, read the Da Vinci Code, if you... Uh, uh, watch Jesus Christ Superstar. That wasn't new. That came from some years back. But it's pure fiction. Let's see what we do know about Mary. She was from, obviously, the town of Magdala, a town that's still in existence. The name is uh, slightly different. It's on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. But there is no evidence in the scripture that she was a woman of low morals. Um, it goes back to medieval times where she became one of the most maligned 
women in the New Testament, uh, largely because of uh, one pope and a few early scholars that connected her with uh, the sinful woman that we see in Luke chapter 7. Now the reason I see how it happened, the, the reason is because Mary Magdalene is introduced in Luke chapter 8 shortly after that, but there is, there's no reason to connect uh, her as that woman of, uh, of low morals, that sinful woman in Luke 7. Uh, one commentator said this about her. We have, we have had Mary Magdalene in the pillory for 1,900 years, flinging mud. We should have been pilloried. This Mary never was never a harlot. There's no evidence anywhere for that. At most, she was neurotic, and Jesus healed her. Which, by the way, that should encourage those of you that are neurotic as well. <laughs> so here's, uh, here's what we do know about, about her. Uh, in Luke 8, two, 8, verse 2, it says this. Uh, Some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So what are these seven demons? Well, some commentators think these were uh, um, uh, breakdowns, seven episodes uh, that she had some kind of a nervous uh, disorder and it recurred over and over. And some uh, commentators think, no, these were superhuman attacks uh, by evil spirits. Whatever it was that afflicted Mary, what we see is that, that Jesus came into her life, which was a, a living death, and he brought her healing. That's what we see. And then we see her being an unafraid follower of Jesus. We see that as... Uh, you know, where, where do we, we find her going early in the morning while it's still dark to the graveyard, cemetery? And at least some think she was totally by herself at that point. So we see, um, it says, while it was uh, still dark, I have to wonder whether... She even slept that night before. You know how that is when you got something you, that you, it's just pressing you and you know you got to get up and you got, know you got to do it the next day. Um, and, and this was something she and the other women wanted to take care of, needed to take care of, and that was the final preparations of Jesus' body for it to, to lay in the tomb and then it would be sealed Finally, and that would be that. So she goes while it's still dark. And she saw, it says, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, at this point, it doesn't say she went anywhere near the tomb. But she got close enough so she could see that the, the stone had been taken away. Now, the other Gospels 
and, and you need to put all, all of them together. There are not conflicts. It, you know, the, the differences we see in them uh, can be easily explained on a, on a timeline. Uh, but the other Gospels tell us that the women looked inside and didn't see the body. It's very possible that uh, uh, there were more than one group of women that went to the tomb at, at different times. John indicates that uh, uh, Mary did that later, that she looked in the tomb. But it was after she had gotten the disciples and they had checked out the situation and come back. Now next week, we will see that account. But that timeline makes sense. So Mary likely, at this point, would have been scared when she saw the uh, the stone was rolled away from the tomb. So it says, verse 2, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, why does it say we do not know where they've laid him? Well, again, the other Gospels indicate that, uh, that other women uh, were with, with Mary Magdalene. And again, there could have been more than one group at a time, maybe even meeting there. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. Now, we need to look at all the details of what, what happened here. At this point, it's not surprising that she would not say, he's risen. Because nobody had risen. That didn't happen. Lots of graves were robbed. But she is making a logical presumption here. They stole him. Who she thought took his body, we don't, don't know, can't tell from this. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now this other disciple, we've already seen that when John talks about himself, he talks about himself as, as the, uh, the disciple that Jesus loved. And here he has identified himself again. So here's the picture. They start running toward uh, the tomb. They're running together. And John, John runs on ahead. Why? Well, because he was younger. That's why. Basically... John is, is recording here, yeah, we're running toward the tomb, and I leave Peter in my dust, and then, <laughs> then, then I get there. But he gives the real, the real picture, uh, because he gets there first, in verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So John admits, and, uh, you know, the, the tomb that, 
uh, we saw over in Israel that they said would have been very typical, would have been one that you would kind of have to look in, you would duck to go in and, and so on. And so, you know, you can, almost, you can almost picture him there looking in. He sees uh, the, the grave clothes. And then Peter basically says, Get out of the way. He doesn't, I mean, it doesn't say that he says that, but I, but I can see him, move, move, get out of there. And let me, and he goes straight in because that's Peter and that's his personality and that's what he's going to do. So Peter gets there out of breath probably and goes right in. Here's what he found. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now it's significant here that the cloths were there and uh, the head cloth is, is separate. I, and I want to address here, um, you know, we've already dealt with the, the myth of Mary Magdalene. Let me. Let me, let me bring out an, another thing that some of you, because I don't want this to come up in community groups and, and this be a, a part of the discussion. Um, you might have uh, seen on the internet why, why it was folded, why that uh, headpiece was folded because, and I'm not encouraging you to do this, but if you, if you Google that, the Jesus head cloth or whatever, uh, this will come up, and it, it talks about, it goes all the way back to uh, the King James Version, uh, the old King James Version, where it talks about that headpiece, and it calls it a napkin. And uh, so here's how the, uh, the internet sensation goes. Uh, it says that... Uh, there is a Jewish tradition that uh, when, you're, when you're eating dinner, the master of the house, uh, if he is finished eating, he will just uh, take his napkin and, and set it, you know, just put it down. And the servants would know, well, he's done. We'll come and, and clear things away. But if the master of the house uh, folds his napkin neatly and leaves the table, that means he's coming back. And so Jesus, according to the internet, uh, Jesus <laughs> is, he, he folded it to say, I'm coming back. Now, the first time I heard that, I thought two things. I thought, man, that'll preach. That, that. <laughs> and then the other thing I thought was, how come I never heard that before? And so I've researched it. And, you know, the reason I hadn't heard it before is that Somebody made it up about 2007, as best I can see. 
it's, it, um, you know, to, to take the old King James use of a word napkin and to imply that Jewish people in Jesus' day used napkins in that way, that were, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit. And so it's just not true. So, look, if you've passed that on because you didn't want to break the chain because it would have been bad luck for you, uh, you don't have to go back and apologize to everybody. Just don't pass it on this Easter when it comes around. So it, it, that does lead us, though, to the question of, well, why, why did he fold that headpiece? Why does it give that detail? I was talking to our community group last, last week, and uh, uh, one, one of the people said, uh, in terms, I said, what's the application of that? One of them said, well, my mom used that to tell us that we need to clean our rooms and keep them neat because if Jesus could keep his tomb neat, then... <laughs> and I thought that was an awesome, uh, you know, application. But why? Really? I'm convinced it's, it's simpler than all of those things that I've just mentioned. I think it was showing this is not the scene of a crime. This, is, this was not a, a, a body snatcher that came in, who, by the way, wouldn't take off the grave clothes and leave them there and certainly wouldn't fold them up if that were the case, going into a tomb guarded by soldiers and the, the rush and all of that, I think that detail is there simply to show this is all a part of the plan. Something else happened here. Jesus is risen from the dead. And so, uh, it, rather than the scene of a crime, this is the scene of a miracle that took place. Verse 8 then, it said, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So I, I, I want us to have three applications here as, um, as we look at this passage. The first thing that I want us to recognize here is that, that Jesus was the first real resurrection. Now you might say, well, isn't that obvious? Well, is it? In the Old Testament, we see some people being brought back to life from the dead. Jesus had raised the dead. You have the, the daughter of Jairus, the widow's son, Lazarus, I am still contending that Jesus was the first real resurrection. The others were resuscitations. And here's the difference. Yes, they were brought back from the dead, but they would get sick and die again. All of those 
that I just mentioned. What took place here was totally different than anything that had ever happened before. And that's the glory of the resurrection. He who was dead and is alive again and will be alive forevermore. That's what took place here. He was, according to 1 Corinthians 15, the first fruits from among the dead. This had never happened before. And this is what paved the way. This is what made the grave no longer fearsome for believers, for those who trust in him alone for eternal life, who will follow him to the grave. Now here's a, here's a question though. If we had been there in the tomb, what would we have seen take place? Well, I want to share with you from John Stott from his book, Basic Christianity. And if you, uh, if you look at, at commentaries uh, uh, about this passage, any that are from, from the era of John Stott on, you will likely see him quoted. But let me read to you what he says. We should suddenly have noticed that the body had disappeared. It would have vaporized being transmuted into something new and different and wonderful. It would have passed through the grave clothes as it was later to pass through closed doors, leaving them untouched and almost undisturbed. Almost, but not quite. For the body cloths under the weight of a hundred pounds of spices, once the support of the body had been removed, would have subsided or collapsed and would now be lying flat. I think that's as good an explanation as we can imagine. Of course, we weren't there. But what, what Stott is saying is, uh, just what we've been saying about the resurrection. This, this was not a resuscitation. This was not uh, Lazarus coming out of the tomb with his grave clothes still on and, and them saying, take it off so he can see and that kind of a thing. But he was something totally new, totally different. And, and that's... That's what we have to look forward to ultimately. Something totally different in a better way. So in terms of application, how should we react to that? Look at what it says in verse 8. The other, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So how should we react? What, what we see with these various evidences of the resurrection that we will see this week and in future weeks 
is that they demand an honest consideration. Nothing can force us to believe, but to ignore the evidence is just unreasonable. And here we see two different reactions. Peter saw the same thing as John. He saw it first. But he still wasn't sure what to believe. We look over in Luke 24, and it, it says that, that Peter went away marvel, marveling and basically like wondering, what was that? What did I, what did I just see? And it was only later that he came to understand what he had seen. But for John, it's different. It says John saw and believed. The Greek word used here means to see with comprehension and understanding. Now, it wasn't that that John didn't have any faith up to that point. We know he did. He was a follower of Jesus. He loved Jesus. He knew Jesus loved him. He was there. He was in the inner circle. He had some kind of a faith up to that point, but, but there's something different. His faith up to that point was incomplete. And this, for him, God used to complete his faith. Later, only later, he would turn to Scripture and it would be strengthened. And so it is with us. God uses many different things to bring us to faith. We have both the the disadvantage and the advantage of some distance in time. The disadvantage of not seeing the evidence firsthand, but the advantage of having the whole of Scripture and seeing the evidence, all the evidence that is presented. So today, some of you seeing this evidence will see and believe and comprehend. But if you're not there yet, I'm glad you're here. You may be more like Peter at this point. Okay, something's going on here. But I'm, I'm not quite sure what it is. And if that's the case for you, I hope that you will be here next week and in the weeks to come to see the fuller picture of what happened with this glorious resurrection where Jesus walked out of the tomb. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you for <clears throat> recording what took place on that morning before it was even light. 
Thank you that we could see it step by step. Lord, will you use it in our lives? Will you give us faith like you gave to John? To believe and to comprehend, to grasp. And we would ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.